0: You don't even have to be a kid to love history. My dad is in the audience this morning. He loves history. He's a history buff about everything in our family and and all of it. We go to dad because he's the one that has the answers, okay? He's the history buff. Well, Jesus is giving a history lesson here in Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 38. And at the very beginning of this section, right off, you see Pharisees and teachers of the law, they're asking for a miraculous sign. Now, I want to remind us what a sign is. A sign was usually some miraculous token to be fulfilled at once or very quick to confirm a particular prophecy, okay? That's exactly what the teachers of the law wanted to see. They're asking for a miraculous sign, and so they challenged Jesus, show me a sign here in, my, in, chapters, in verse 39 and 40. Show me a sign, but it's not in order... To see someone they love being healed or to see people that they care about restored. You see, they want theatrics. They want a circus show. They want for Jesus to kind of jump through a, a hoop at their beck and call because here's reality. They have no compassion for the healing of the demon-possessed blind man who'd been able to speak. They really had no concern for the man with the deformed hand who was totally restored. You know what they want in their mind? They want death for the enemies. They want to destroy the Roman oppressors or at the very least lead to an uprising. And so in their mind, here's what they're asking. Where was their miracle? They wanted Jesus to prove once again that he was the Messiah. And had they searched and examined his life, they would have come to this conclusion. Jesus really is the son of God. If there's one thing that we've got to understand about people of God is this, we do not set the standards for faith. Jesus does. And he wanted the Pharisees, he wanted the teachers of the law to know that, and he wants us to know that. You know why? Because too often in life, you know what? We are way too much like the Pharisees. And our hearts and our minds are places where they shouldn't be, and Jesus Reels it back in and says, here is what's important. Here is what you really need to focus on. Here is what you need to have a heart for to hunger and thirst after. And so Solomon, beginning in verse 39, he had a visit from a woman who was the queen of Sheba. And she saw all the works, she saw all the wisdom, she saw all the wealth of Solomon And here's what she says. She says the breath had gone out of me when she saw the glory of Solomon's kingdom. I want you to listen to these words. Some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. And so he answered. He says a wicked and adulterous generation, they asked for a miraculous sign. But none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He's kind of doing some comparing and contrasting here on this history lesson. And the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now, here's this phrase again, one greater than Jonah is here. And the queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. Here it is again. And now one greater than Solomon is here. And so when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest, and it does not find it. And then it says, I will return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. And then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go in and they live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation and so jesus's mother and brothers while jesus was still talking to the crowd his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him someone told him your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you and he replied to him who is my mother and who are my brothers and pointing to his disciples he said here are my mother and my brothers For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. I want to read verse 50 again. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. What a history lesson. Talking about Jonah, talking about Solomon, great people. Solomon's smartest of all. We're going to look more about him in just a moment. But do you see what Jesus is saying in his history lesson, even about Jonah, and even about Solomon? Now one is greater than Jonah, and now one is greater than Solomon, and that one that is greater is standing right here before your very eyes. And we're so oblivious to think that here is Jesus right here beside us, and yet in our life, what do we do, church? We're always wanting more. We're always wanting something else. The one that we need always is before us. The one that we always need has gone before us. And He has laid out the path For us to follow. and God looks to us today through his son and through his spirit that lives right here in our heart. And he says, will you follow the one that's right here in front of you? Will you follow the one that's greater than all? Will you follow the one that's greater than all your sin? Will you follow the one that's greater than all your problems and all your troubles and all your conversations? You know, today we get in our little holy huddles and we have conversations about everything under the sun and we talk about our concerns for God and for the church and for mankind and for the world and for the government. We talk about it all. And I'm here to tell you this morning, Jesus is greater than all of those conversations. Jesus can do more, Paul says, than all we ask or imagine. Jesus says, listen, the queen of Sheba came from the uttermost parts of the earth, probably at that time, Ethiopia. You're oblivious to think that Solomon is so great. I mean, don't you know the Pharisees are thinking to themselves, Who are you to have the audacity to say that one greater than Solomon is here? I mean, after all, here is this peasant, here's this carpenter's son, and you compare him to Solomon, man, Solomon was it in his day. I mean, he was the smartest of all. All greatness, all wealth, all wonder, no one greater existed in his day. But you know what the problem was? The Pharisees were such proud people, and their hearts were so empty. The sad thing is they rejected the wisdom of Christ who was right there before their very eyes. So if you do a little comparison and contrast between Solomon and Jesus, look what you get. In comparison, Solomon was a king's son. Jesus was a carpenter's son. Solomon was born in a palace. Jesus, born in a stable. Solomon was born in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Jesus was born in little old Bethlehem. Solomon had servants waiting on him, hand and foot. Says Jesus had none, but in reality, he has many because he calls each one of us to humble ourselves and to become his servants. Solomon wore his kingly robes so much that Jesus compared them to the flowers of the field. Jesus wore his peasant's garb. Solomon drank from vessels of gold. Jesus drank water given to him by a Samaritan woman. Solomon was rich beyond compare. Jesus was a pauper. Solomon had great armies. Jesus had a few stragglers called the Twelve that started following him. Solomon lived in mansions. Jesus was homeless. Solomon had 1,400 chariots, 1,200 horsemen, 12,000 stalls of horses, and he rode in splendor. And guess what, church? Jesus, what does it say? He walked. Where did he walk? He walked everywhere. Thank you. Good answer. I'll tell you this he walked in places that you and I don't even like to consider going to. Have you thought about that? He walked in places, he walked in homes. He walked in synagogues. He walked, in the, he walked everywhere. And a lot of those places that he went, you and I look at today and think, I'm not sure I would really be caught dead right there. But do you see the example? Do you see the example? Church, if it was good enough for Jesus, it has to be good enough for you and I. And so we look at all these things, and sometimes in our lives, we are more wowed by Solomon then we are Jesus. We need to be wowed about Jesus. We need to be wowed about the life that he lived. And I want to suggest this morning that if you really want to be a family and focus, whether it's your individual family or whether it's our family right here at Lamar Avenue, is the fact that we are focused on this fact right here. Jesus is greater than all. It. Remind yourself this morning through the eyes of God that whatever you're struggling with, that whatever is on your mind, that whatever you're wrestling with, resolve this morning. Stand in the amazement that God, through His Son Jesus, is greater than that. You know, we sing a beautiful song, grace is greater than all my sin. Man, I mean, we just sing it to the mountaintops. Do we really live that? It's easy to sit back and sing it, but do we really put that into practice in our own life? I don't know what you're struggling with today, but I know this. As people of faith, we have to be reminded that our faith is in one that's a whole lot greater than anything we can see. Even Solomon, he was it in his day. He had it all. In fact, turn to 1 Kings chapter 10 real quick. 1 Kings chapter 10. This is what happened when the queen of Sheba visited Solomon. Solomon. When the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relation to the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. Arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan, with camels carrying spices and large quantities of gold and precious stones, she came to Solomon and talked with him about all that she had on her mind. And you know what? She had a lot on her mind. More than anything, she dreamed of this day right here. And it's a reality And now that she's with them, all she can do is just stand in awe of this man. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers, and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord... She was, what's the word? Overwhelmed. And she said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But here's what I want to suggest this morning. Think about this question. How is it that Jesus can really be greater than Solomon? The first thought is this. Jesus is greater in the wisdom that he proclaims. Again, he's wise. He wrote the Proverbs. He knew all about biology, psychology, theology, creation. Wrote over 3,000 Proverbs. Memorized 1,500 Psalms. I mean, what a mind this guy had. Guys, I'll tell you what, kids. This was a guy that you would love to have sitting next to you on all your tests. Because he knew it all. Okay, He had all the answers. But Jesus had greater wisdom, and look at this, because he made all the things that Solomon knew about. And so take a step back for a moment. All these things that we're wowed about with Solomon, Jesus says, I created all of it. I made all of it. I'm the father of all of it. I mean, think about it. Solomon knew all about fishing. Jesus knew more. He put enough fish in empty nets to sink two boats. Solomon knew all about the wind. Jesus knew more. He could rebuke the wind by simply just saying, be still. He knew all about navigation. So did Jesus. He could walk on the water. I mean, he had it down pat. And we look at all of that, and maybe what we need to realize in our life is this. Maybe this popular saying is so true. The more that a man knows, the more he knows he doesn't know. Let me read it again. The more a man knows, the more he knows, he doesn't know. Oh, how so true that really is. Jesus is greater than Solomon, not just in the wisdom that he proclaims, but the second one is this, in all of his works. And here's the beautiful thing that I want to remind us of this morning. Solomon did some mighty things. He built a palace for himself. He built a temple 183,600 workers spent seven and a half years working on it. But you know what? God was the architect of it. The temple faced east, and as the sun would come up over the Mount of Olives, it would shine on that temple, and I mean, it stood out like a mountain of snow as you saw all the ivory and all the gold. But here's the good news this morning. Jesus comes along, and he builds a greater temple Okay? I want you to look around this morning. Go ahead and look around. I'm even going to give you permission to do this in church. Turn around and look to the people behind you for just a moment. Okay? Go ahead. It's okay. It's biblical. Look around. Look to the side. Now, here's the good news. Jesus has built a greater temple, and you know who it is? It is us. It's you and I. And you may be looking at that, and saying, man, that's pretty scary. Don't say it about the person next to you. Say it about yourself. But the amazing thing is this. God is using you as his temple to do some mighty things in the name of Jesus. You see, as you look through Scripture, here's one of the things you begin to realize. In the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people. And as you keep turning the pages... When Jesus comes on the scene, here's the amazing thing. He has a people for his temple, and that's us. That ought to really humble us, shouldn't it? That ought to really wake us up to realize that everywhere I go, I'm the temple of the one who created me. I'm it. You're it. And everything that we do with our temple reflects our Creator. So how are you doing? How are you doing with the temple that God has created? Solomon's temple's gone. It's been destroyed. But what you see today will never be destroyed because we will enter the glory of heaven one day. And we need to be reminded, we are the temple of God. You see, church, salvation, salvation is not getting man out of earth into heaven. It is getting God out of heaven into the hearts of mankind. And as we've talked about over the last few weeks, the amazing thing about God's kingdom, it rests right here in our hearts. So everywhere we go, we take the kingdom of God with us. We're His temple. We're His kingdom. Jesus, number three, is greater than Solomon in the worker's that he pleases. Solomon had some good workers. Queen had never seen happier people before in all of her life. He fed his servants. He took care of them. They're dressed well. They're paid well. I mean they were servants of such a wise king. So are we. We're God's workers. Jesus gives joy that's full of glory. He gives joy that should be contagious. And the amazing thing is that our joy does not depend on our circumstances in life. Nobody, nobody can take the joy of the Lord away from you. And if you allow them to do that, you know whose fault that is? It is your fault. We got a sweet lady in this church about six years ago. She's one of my heroes, not just because of this, but just of her life. She made a goal and a prayer in her life that she was not going to let anybody take the joy of the Lord away from her. I really like that. Don't let anybody do it, church. But more, the joy that you do have, let it be contagious and let it spill over and let more and more people see all we really want to do in this life is give God the glory and the praise that He deserves. All that we've done this morning in this place, as we've lifted our voices, it's not for us. It all goes to God. He receives all the glory for that. And yet, as we're here worshiping such a loving God, we have people outside these walls in the world. And they're looking to science. They're looking to education. They're looking to government, if you can imagine that. They're looking to culture. They're looking everywhere. And here's what they're crying out. Can you save me? Everybody wants to be saved. And yet, we look at all of that and sometimes we're wowed by those things. But I'm telling you, the only thing that's really going to matter at the end of the day in your life is that you have a relationship with God. That's what matters. Jesus saves. He's been in the saving business all of his life. And all we can really do is just stand amazed. At how great our Savior really is. You can compare him to Solomon, Jonah, anything you want to. The bottom line is still this Jesus is greater. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your Son, Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the greatness of your Son. And Father, this morning we stand in awe of you. We stand in awe of the fact that you have called us in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our shortcomings, you still call us your children. And Father, we love you for that. And Father, we thank you for Jesus your Son and our great Savior. And I pray that every day of our life that we can tell more and more people about the greatness of you and your Son and your Holy Spirit that resides in us. It's to Jesus we pray, and all the church said, Amen.